and welcome to Superman Movie Minutes, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies is 1978's Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me as always through this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Howdy, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Uh, very well. It's Again, this is my turn on the barrel, so I'm inviting a special guest, our pal Dan Greenfield. Hi, Dan. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm very happy to finally have you on. We know you love this movie. Uh, but yes. I do want to say I find it ironic that the two biggest Batman fans I know are finally podcasting together on a, a show about Superman. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of weird, isn't it? I thought of that, too. I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting. But I, I, it's awesome. I just To me, this is the best superhero movie ever made. So whether it's Batman or not, it, it's it's still the best. Yeah, yeah, we obviously believe that. At some point, I'd love to hear you guys do a podcast about the 1966 Batman TV show because I think it would go on for seven hours. Like, it would just go on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm game if you are, Chris. <laughs> oh, I, I am, too. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of when you uh, – Guest star frequently on uh, our friend John S. Drew's Batcave podcast. So, yeah, I'd be up for that anytime. Oh, that's awesome. Bookworm, King Tut. Be like a like a telethon. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah, right. Funny. We should totally do that next Labor Day. There Let's you go. There you go. 24 hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, of course, we're here to talk about Superman. The, the minutes we're doing are 105 through 110. It opens with Superman flying through Metropolis to try and find Lex Luthor. And it ends with missiles on their way, but not before we take a quick trip through Otisburg. Uh, but we'll get to that in a, in a moment. Before we talk to the, about the minutes specifically, Dan, like, what's your history with this movie? I'm going to assume you saw this in the theater. I did. I, I saw it that winter that it came out, late 78, early 79. I think it was during a winter break that I saw it. I didn't see it like opening night because I wasn't all that hopped up to see it. You know, I, it was because of, I, yeah, because of the <laughs> Superman-Batman divide, I was a Batman kid, and I really didn't – I know – I didn't really – I wasn't really that into Superman at all. I mean I watched the George Reeves show on occasion and and – but I didn't read – the only time I ever read Superman in the comics was if it was World's Finest or if I saw him in a Justice League comic and neither of those were my favorite comics. So Superman was kind of – I mean I had some Superman comics but I didn't love them. They just – he just didn't speak to me as a character for whatever reason. Get into that another time. So when it came out, I was like, OK, you know, there's a Superman movie. And I went to go see it. It was my aunt and uncle who took me to see it with my cousin, who I was visiting down near Philadelphia. And uh, and I was, I mean, it changed everything. At that point, now I got it. I understood. And even to the point now where this is still, to me, not only just my favorite superhero movie of all time, it's my favorite Superman story of all time in any medium. If, if the comic books aren't quite... As, I, as I, I wrote, actually, just this week in a, in a different context, I have a litmus test when I read Superman comics. And it's, if I can't see Christopher Reeve doing this, then I'm right out of the story. I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's not the Superman I want to read. It's it's this version of Superman that, that really, really speaks to me. And I remember, even though I'd already had one, we went out to the toy store and I got myself a new Mego Superman. Of course, there wasn't much more that I could get beyond that. I wasn't aware of the 12-inch Superman at the time. But it really did change me and made me a Superman fan, whereas up to that point, he was just kind of a take-it-or-leave-it character. Oh, that's really cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that, I never thought about that, but you're right. It's like, to me, Superman is so... I, I Yeah, I hear dialogue. Uh, when I read stuff Superman comics, I hear it in Christopher, Roy's, Christopher Reeves' voice. Yeah. I just can't help it. Yeah. 
But it's not even just that. It's the act, it's yeah, the actions yeah. that he takes and the relationships and his behavior. If it, fe- if it, it will feel off to me if I feel like this is, I, I'm not to say the, the, the classic, this is not my Superman. I don't mean it to sound that way, but it really is true because this is my Superman. You can't picture Christopher Reeve opening up a box of kryptonite and killing three of the villains. In the, in the, uh... No, but 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 up to that point, though, the, the, the thing with John Byrne is that I thought that Man of Steel and a lot of what he did felt like Christopher Reeve's Superman to me, which is also why that was I still consider, you know, despite that, all of, you know, that was, I think, for me, was another life-altering you know, thing for me as a Superman fan was I still, even after this, didn't really fall back into the comics. But when Byrne got his hands on him, that to me was the closest to super, you know, cr- closest to Christopher Reeve I'd seen up to, in the comics at that time. And then years later, you know, New 52 has come and gone. What's going on with Superman right now um, with, you know, people like Peter Tomasi and Patrick Leeson and Dan Jurgens, they are writing the best Superman stuff in, in years and years, very much because it kind of hews to this version of Superman. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And when I read, I read your article on 13th dimension, it was not in my head the whole time. <laughs> oh, I'm glad yes. to hear that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. I think Jeff Johns, I think did a great version of it. That was very similar to this. I think these guys have done a similar, you know, a very similar version that the, the idea of Superman being, he does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And he doesn't bemoan his place in the world. He knows that he has something special and he chooses because it's the right thing to do good things with it. And, and to me, that's what Superman is supposed to be. Yeah, again, nodding, as Chris said, nodding my head along here as we're doing. Um, so, so, yeah, these minutes are 105 through 110. I said uh, the opening sequence of Superman flying around the city trying to find the source of uh, the signal from Lex Luthor. Again, we, uh, Chris and I talked in the previous episode, the, the scene with Perry and Clark, where they have the one-on-one about, you got bags of humility. I love... <laughs> I love that Richard Donner and Tom Mankiewicz and uh, Stuart Baird, everybody that worked in this movie, found the time to add these little bits of detail. So I love as Superman is flying around the city, we get the average person's reaction. We see him fly by the bus. We see people like, it's still like, Wow, there's like people are are still amazed that Superman is around, and when they get to see him, it's like a celebrity sighting. And I love the fact that v- the vast majority of people that are going nuts are women. It's it's the yes. women. All the women are like, oh, it's Superman. <laughs> they love that <laughs> right in the office building. They all come running to the they come running to the window. They're like, oh my god, look at him go. Yeah. And 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 this, it's also it's context too because you're talking 1977 1978 New York City. I mean, yes, it's metropolis, but it's also the hard-bitten city. So you you it adds an element when all of these, you know, cynical New Yorkers are that blown away by this idea. It really does to go back to the tagline, help you believe a man can fly because this is how people would react if they saw it. They 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 would be that excited about it. And you're right, it would be like a celebrity sight. Although really- I do have a question. How, how does he change his clothes in midair? How, do, how does he do that? <laughs> Chris, you want to tackle that one? Uh, we, we discussed that last time, and, and we both decided it was just super speed, and they just didn't want to they didn't want to show all the clunkiness of him taking his pants off and his coat, and, <laughs> and because we, we don't want to we don't want to imagine it's a made up superpower that will you know like you know great wall vision or you know whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> great wall vision, yes. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I kind of always had that theory in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, so it's just something he can do uh, without trying to think too much of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that makes yeah. sense. It, I, I love the when he flies by the office 
window. Um, I, I, I love the fact that that's like, you know, that's a practical effect. Like Christopher Reeve is outside this window on a crane <laughs> and flies by because it looks, I mean, that looks so much better than if it was any other kind of effect, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, and I, I remember that was used, um, uh, I've brought this up before and Rob's kind of like giggled, but the, uh, the 50th anniversary <laughs> Superman, uh, special that, the, that Lauren Michaels produced, which, I kind of I have some problems with, but the opening of that thing used the 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 classic theme and the opening narration to the 1950s George Reeves Adventures of Superman. But it showed clips from all the different versions of Superman, and there's that shot of Christopher Reeve flying past the window when it said Superman. You know, so yeah. I mean I, that that just I was like that. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic because it it shows how excited and. And awesome it would be to see Superman just fly by your office. You know? right. right. Yeah. <laughs> My only issue with that uh, anniversary special, Chris, and I, we, I don't think we brought it up the last time it, it came up, is that I actually, I really like that special. I think it's funny. I think it, it's, it's got, you know, I think it's got its heart in the right place. But it should not have been the only marking of Superman's 50th birthday on television. That's the, right. like, you know, like if you're going to do it, do like a quote unquote real one and then you can do the funny one. But making the, by the fact that it was the only one done was the humorous one. It does make it seem like, ah, this is all just like a big joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, Superman lands on the street and he tells everybody to back up and he decides to do the super drill bit thing where he uh, shoots into the ground. And uh, Superman, I have a, this thing. It's they're called manhole covers where you <laughs> can just lift it up and. Bang, you're in the subway, dude. You don't need to actually drill a hole. I, I have a, just a completely, you know, if you'll indulge me, self-referential aspect to this scene is that when he flies down again, because it's really New York City, he lands at 47th and Park, which I ha- just on a purely personal, self-indulgent level, I walk there every single Wednesday on my way to the comic book store. <laughs> every single we- that 47th and Park is where I hit the light. He actually, when you see the back, the, the, the rear uh, projection, when he actually does his spinning, because I don't think they filmed it on the street there, it looks to me like there's a shot of, of Manhattan behind him, because you see the Helmsley building right there on Park Avenue. Um, I think they actually, the perspective is like from 48th or 49th Street, but when he actually, you see him diving down and then turning over and landing on his feet, it's 47th and Park, and so... I get to walk where Superman walked every single Wednesday on the way to my uh, comic book store. <laughs> so, awesome. so, which, which also a, a, another quick going back to Batman because it always goes back to Batman. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Michael Bailey, um, but it goes back to Batman. <laughs> the cover of Batman 251, the famous Joker straddling the New York City skyline. That's mm-hmm. also from that perspective. It's the Joker is straddling the Helmsley Building and the Pan Am Building, right at Park, and you're from, you're basically looking up at him from about 47th, 48th Street. That is also the same perspective of one of the Dark Knight posters that also shows one of the exploded buildings, which is the Helmsley Building. So for some reason, there is something in DC Comics DNA that the that the corner of Park Avenue and 47th Street or 48th Street just looms large if you know what to look for. But anyway, yes, when they go drilling, when he goes drilling down underground and approaches Lex Luthor's lair, it's just this is finally the, the, the showdown that you've been waiting for for, for you know, 100 minutes into the movie. Coming to the Firewater podcast, a new show all about New York called New York Minute with your host, Dan Greenfield. I'm telling you, man, the, the comic, if you ever do an FW Presents about like real life places that are in comic books, sign me up. We will talk off air, Dan. Yeah. 
I, that's fascinating. I had no, I mean, I had no idea that that was all the same location. Yeah. That's it's that's weird. awesome. It's really weird. <laughs> it is yeah. weird. Yeah. It's like, yeah. were the DC offices any near there at any point? Yes, they or? were. Yes, they were. Oh. They were over on Lexington okay. Avenue. Um, and in a different podcast that, that, that Rob and I just did on his treasury cast, 480 Lexington Avenue is also right around the corner from there. And that's where DC and Marvel also had, you know, that whole area was, was DC and Marvel um, offices until they moved progressively westward, you know, near Times Square. And now, of course, DC's now in Burbank. And, but Marvel is still like, I think they're no, I think they're on 50th Street, I think. But anyway, another time. I was going to say when we were, just the drill thing, it, that that part I remember as a kid thinking that was really cool because I had seen, I had seen Superman do that on the Super Friends, you know. I mean, it, it, right. I'd never seen George Reeves do it, but I'd, I'd read it, seen it in the comics, and I'd seen it in the Super Friends, and it's like, here it is, that's a cartoon, and I mean, even at age four, I figured, you know, that's a cartoon, this is real, but the fact that they, like, did it in, in live action just... It is one of those little those superpowers you just don't think about that Superman has super drilling action or whatever. Yes. But but it was just so well done. It was I always just it jumped out in my head that it was really really cool. Yeah, it looks really great. I love the the process shot in the background of the New York City in the background. It's it's great. It's just it's like you never got to see him do this in live action before. So and, and you know now the special effects team can do it. So it looks really cool. I love that he kind of tucks his cape in a little. When he rolls it in, and so then, then we see him come down, and he looks, he finds the lair, and we see the, the abandoned, uh, the abandoned door frame, and then we see uh, Ned Beatty, of course, Otis on the other side as the door starts to bow out. I think he's coming with the Ludor, <laughs> and uh, Miss Tessmacher looking very fetching in her white outfit, uh, mm-hmm. and she's doing the whole mm-hmm. Bond girl thing where she's interested but she's a little scared. So then he busts the door down, the great Superman pose, knocking over the lamp, I think accidentally. I don't believe the lamp was supposed to go, but it does. And then he stands there looking like a boss with his fist down, and he just looks so mad. And then, of course, all this drama is undercut by Lex Luthor's line, it's open, come in. (laughs) (laughs) My attorneys will be in touch about the Uh, cost of the door. Only Lex could have the cojones yeah. to say that to Superman, yeah. who just pushed through a like two foot thick steel door. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. The deadpan, the way he does it too, is just priceless. Yeah, just to, to have the to have the confidence uh, that uh, you're going to be okay when uh, when this one lone being that can fly and bend steel with his bare hands, and you're just like, I'm not even going to get out of my chair. It's fine. I'm just right. going to sit here and watch the... So then he says, uh, Otis, take the man's cape, and Otis goes to get him. And then Christopher Reeve, I love the face <laughs> Superman is giving Otis. It's like, it, that's the face you're about to, when you're about to ex, you're about to heat vision somebody's insides, man. He is just like, I am not screwing around. And then, of course, uh, Otis is, I don't think he wants him to take it, but the loot doll, which is just, I love it. Oh, my God. That's the look Cindy gives me every day. You know, that's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I love, I love that look he got. I mean, it, it, there's just, I mean, it's like Christopher Reeve has now entered. We've we've had all these scenes with these three, and they've they've been like this this you know this comedy bit that's that's great back and forth with them. And he's come in and he's not having it. You know, he he's not having any of this, and he's 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 all business. I love it. No, I also like that this is finally you get to see the two of them in the same room. I mm-hmm. mean, the whole movie, the whole movie has been, has been building to this point. You know, you've had Luther, you've had Superman's background. You've seen all these wonderful things Superman can do. You know, Les Luthor's up to something, but you don't know what it is. You just know in, in grand 
you know, in, in these really kind of broad, vague strokes that he's up to something. There are references to things, but you don't really know what it is until now when you have these guys in the room and you're like, all right, what's going to happen next? And the whole scene crackles because of that, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I mean, we, we, they've talked about uh, in the, the making of and we've talked about on the show that, like, you know, Christopher Reeve really never got a chance to do much work with Marlon Brando. I mean, they're in the movie right. together and they're father and son, but they really only have one scene together. But here you've got Christopher Reeve getting to interact with Gene Hackman, which has got to be great. Gene Hackman, one of the greatest guys ever to do it. Um, and right. I, I love that Superman is putting on a bit of a of a role here. Like he's being, we've seen him in other scenes where he's friendly and jovial and he's nice and he's warm. But here he's just like you're a sick, twisted dreamer, Luther. Like he is being a tough guy, you know, which right. I which I kind of mm-hmm. like because he feels like he has to. I mean, he's Superman. He could rip Luthor apart quite easily, but he feels the need to kind of play the tough guy a little, which which I I like. That says something about. Superman, that he is willing to kind of, like, change his persona. I mean, when he goes and um, he stops the, the, the boat guys, the uh, the criminals, you know, right. he's like, bad vibrations? Or right. the, 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 uh, the catwalker guy, you know, where he's, like, going down. Like, he is not remotely trying to uh, be intimidating outside of him just being Superman. But here, he is, like, really trying to do a mind game on Luthor, which is a fun little detail and a, a fun choice of Christopher Reeve, I think. Well, I think it also plays to just how dangerous Lex Luthor is compared to these common thugs. Right, right. I mean, they've also been building toward that this, you know, oh, my God, we're going to, you know, with with the two cops earlier in the movie, oh, my God, you think we're actually going to get Lex Luthor? And they're like, oh, we'll make Captain by midnight. So they've already played up this idea that he's something special. And I think that given the way that Luthor drew him there, um, or Luthor uh, drew him there, there, there's there's a certain level of moral outrage, too, when he comes in. Because mm-hmm. he says to him, "Is this how you get your kicks by by planning the, you know by causing the deaths of million you know or by planning the deaths of millions of people?" And he deadpans back. He says, "No, actually, by causing the deaths." But th- <laughs> this is this is also there, you know he is actually. I think you're right. He's playing a role, but I think he's actually also angry about this guy and, and realizing that this guy is a genuine threat to to the populace. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a lot of it. I think I think to Superman the idea that somebody would just endanger this many people is just abhorrent to him. He can't, he, you know, it's, 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 again, it's like the, uh, me and Rob brought up and I know I'm not supposed to bring it up, but the the line in the the next movie where he says, no, don't do it. The people. And he's kind of got, he's like people like kind of like, well, why is he smiling? So he can't understand that anybody would want to harm a bunch of innocent people, you know, as Superman. And I think that's what you're getting here. He's just, he's all business because you know, and, and I love, I love the exchange between him and Lex. Like, like you said, Dan, the line about you know plotting the death of innocent people and no causing the death. That is that scene is the entire Superman Lex Luthor relationship in like uh, one exchange of dialogue. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's that's them. You know, that's uh, you know Lex thinks he's above. He can do whatever he wants if he, this is what he wants to do. He's Lex Luthor. He can do what he wants, and Superman's always there to stop him. And I mean, I. I, I think that's a that's a fantastic scene, and it also shows that despite some of the buffoonery that's been going on with with especially Otis and Miss Tessmacher and Lex having some fun back and forth, this guy is a serious threat. And I think this that line sells it in the way Hackman delivered it. It's, it's just fantastic. There's also a quick cutaway when when Superman is pushing the door in, and the sheer force of it coming through, and you, you do get this one look of alarm, this brief glimpse of alarm in Luther's face 
that also sells the idea that even he recognizes the power of the guy he's going up against. But what that does is that only emphasizes just how cool he is when Superman actually comes through. Because the thing is, and I know that this isn't the scene that you're going to talk about in this episode, and you'll, you'll be talking about this soon, is that the payoff comes later as to just why he is so at ease with himself is because he's got a trump card that we don't know about and that Superman doesn't know about. And so, again, there's head games going on here that are apparent only two scenes later as to just why why Lex Luthor isn't running around the room saying, oh, my God, hide me. This guy's going to get to me. He knows he's got the upper hand. Only Superman doesn't know it yet. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah, look, like I said Hackman is great at this. And, of course, and then when Luthor admits, it's always in the back of my mind, and he made it all up. And he just, he's right. sort of in love with himself. He's in right. the back of my mind. He's yeah. kind of like, I'm just so funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's just really great at this part. <laughs> Uh, so then we get some stock footage of the missiles going off. We see some guys uh, about to check out the gamma bomb as it's about to explode. And then we cut back to uh, – that, that's always what that looks like to me. When I see a bunch of scientists in a bunker looking at something, I'm just thinking they're, the gamma bomb's about to go off. Right. Um, so then we cut back, of, back to Luthor and a really great down shot of the floor of uh, Luthor's pad where he's got the, the, the map of the United States and it's all blocked out. We see the cobwebs. Uh, strewed yeah. all about the chandelier. This is something Chris and I mentioned yeah. and noticed early on that like this place is yeah, riddled with dirt and cobwebs, which is kind of funny because you think this base can't be that old because it's were these offices for a subway that Luthor has stolen. I always got the sense that he built this, but maybe these are maybe this is an old subway, you know, like office building that he has just somehow taken control of. Well, it's all based on Grand Central Terminal. I mean, right. that, that's that's why that which is above them. I mean, that's where, I mean, when, when they show, you know, Otis walking through earlier in the movie, of course, it's, it's what Grand Central looked at at the, looked like at the time. This actually is what Grand Central looked like originally and looks like now. So I think the idea that it was just kind of, it is weird that it's like almost like ruins that they, that, that, that were built upon and that had been abandoned or, or something, which is why I think it gives the idea, because you see all around it, there's like broken banisters and it's kind of crumbling and it feels like he's, it's, it's this kind of almost, I'm trying to, what, what's the right word? Um, not desiccated, but it's, it's like this, it's this, it's a corrupted version of something that's gleaming. And so it kind of fits the Luther mystique, but yes, you would think that he would be in kind of this, you know, beautiful, spit-and-polished world, but it also speaks to kind of the rot that's going on in his mind is because he's kind of in this this, this, this lair that was once beautiful but has now kind of fallen on hard times. So it kind, of, it kind of speaks to the underbelly, I think, a little bit. I mean, I know that there's all sorts of abandoned stations in New York City, like all sorts yeah. of little cubby holes here and there. And for, for many, many years, for decades, I would say, I always assumed that Luthor built this, that this is your classic superhero lair that he got it built by you know your henchmen or whatever you do but no this is this is stuff that existed already that luthor has just decided to take control of and for some reason nobody's noticed nobody's noticed that he's that there's people in it and there's electricity running in and out of it so like that because again on the floor it mentions the transcontinental railway and obviously that's something luthor would have put in that's that was already there so it, it took me i'm ashamed to admit it took me many decades to realize this is not a custom lair this is a a used car, as I was going to say, it's got this kind of like old town feel, like like it was something that literally was built over top of when they, right. you know, it's like an old part of the city that they that they just uh, 
you know, they they basically built a new version on top of it, which you know that happens sometimes in yeah. uh, in in cities and things. So, yeah. well, not to put too fine a point on it, but they had already established that he knew how to find value in things that were valueless. I mean, they they you know when when she says to him, or earlier in the movie, he says to her, "You who what who do you know who has a Park Avenue address like this?" And she says, "You know, and what they're shelling out about you know from for you know for." a room off a common elevator. And she's like, Park Avenue address, 200 feet below. So, and as we're about to see in this very next scene, again, what, what did he do to establish his, 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 uh, his uh, real estate empire out West? Not to be, not to spoil what we're about to talk about, but he bought all this worthless land because he knew it would be worth something someday. <laughs> Smart guy, that Luthor. So he goes yeah. on, he talks a little bit about California. Superman gets to explain uh, the whole thing about the San Andreas Fault. And I love that, I love that <laughs> Luthor, Luthor treats Superman like a, like a gifted child. You know, he's like, oh, good job, Superman. Superman's like, he could have said it better myself. He's like, a, he's like a teacher that doesn't expect a lot out of you, and then you get something right. You're like, good job, good job. You know what the San Andreas Fault is. It's such, he's such a dick to Superman. It's such a brilliant but, but same, performance by Gene Hackman. And, and it's also it's also Superman's response is so it's so square. You know, it's also it's a textbook textbook explanation for what it is. Of course, Superman knows what it is, and he's very you know he's got his information, and he you know and and Luther's just like you're right. He's practically rolling his eyes like couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> It, it, it's so funny because Superman's so polite. I mean, he's a little fr- – he's yeah. frustrated but still polite because he's like, yes, it's a meeting of landmasters. But he does that – he does that – and then – Yeah, you're right. That little, that little shrug just before he does it is great. I love that. It's like, okay, I know. I've got to – you know, mom, mom, Paul always told me to be polite to everybody. <laughs> Even to to potential mass murderer sociopaths, I still have to kind of be nice to it. So uh, as they go on, and then, of course, I love that uh, he he finishes his statement by whapping Otis with the the pointer, (laughs) which, of course, uh, Otis provides with the whole, he's like, oh, Lex Luthor Enterprises, uh, which is great. He's just so casually cruel to Otis. And then he lays out his plan, and Superman, Christopher Reeve has that great look on his face of just like, are you kidding me? Like, What? Like, millions of people would die. Like, what is the... It, it, it does remind me of that scene, as I mentioned it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it here, Chris. Superman 2, where, yeah, he's just so beyond belief that anyone would do such a thing. He just can't... He, he's just like, why would anyone do that? Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, uh, on the map itself, uh, oh. how long did it take you guys to notice what Miss Tessmacher's little bird was called? Oh, a and long the- time. <laughs> Along the, yes. it, we it wasn't in t- go ahead oh yeah well Otis puts down the uh, the applique the new version that he got done presumably at Kinko's or something and it talks about the new coast because of course it's going to have Costa del Lex which is Lexington great Lex Springs Marina del Lex Tessmacher Peaks which is I hope Tom Mankiewicz took the rest of the day off when he came up with that one and uh, right below Lutherville is of course done in crayon. Otisburg, which is <laughs> one of the movie's great gags of all time. It is it is the funniest line in the entire movie. The whole the whole thing, Otisburg. And I like that some comic book writers have actually written Otisburg into the comics or made references to Otisburg. I think that's I, th- I love that. But it's also that the S in Otisburg is 
is backwards. <laughs> so it's just that, that Otis isn't just stupid. He's just really stupid. I mean, it's just, they go all in, and it's a really broad joke, but it still works. <laughs> I love, and I love the fact that Luthor... <laughs> Luthor doesn't seem so much upset that, that Otis claimed the land for himself as that he named it Otisburg, that he could come up with a better name. That really seems to be what he's mad about. Otisburg? Well, Mr. Otis, small Otis, guy's small. Otisburg? Otis That's the part that he's bothered by. If, if he had called it, you know, Marina del Otis, he might have been okay with it. But there's something about Otisburg that just offends Luthor's sense of marketing, I guess. But, but yes, getting back to uh, your question... It took me many, many views of this movie to notice Tessmacher Peaks. That is just... Yes. Ugh, you guys. I might have been when it came to DVD, honestly, when I first noticed it in big big screen TV. I don't, it's been a while, but it's not been that long, I mean, in the grand scheme of things. So. I, for, for me, it wasn't until last night, I have to admit it. Oh, wow. Because I've seen this movie, I've actually seen this movie, I can say with confidence, I've seen this movie more than any movie I've ever seen. And, and, and I've seen so many movies on repeated viewings, but going back, cause when this first movie came on cable back in, cause it was a couple of years, I think it was like 1980 when this finally hit cable, I watched it just about every time that I could. So even, you know, by that time, I mean, if you, if you add in, you know, 13 year old Dan watching it sometimes two or three times a day, if he could, I, I've seen this movie over and over and over, but the focus is so much on Otisburg and the gag <laughs> that I'm not. And he even mentions it, you know, Miss Ta- Miss Tessmacher, she's got a little place, but he never says the name. No. So no. last night when I was looking for details, prepping for this podcast, and I said, "Wait a minute, do we actually ever know the name of it?" And then you see it; it's a sight gag because it's not only just he never gets to that point because he's so put off by Otisburg. <laughs> But when it says when it says Tessmacher Falls, it actually has a picture of two mountain peaks. Yes, it does. Yep. And then there's snow yes. cap too. I mean, they went <laughs> the joke. They they drove that joke home, and I bet you only ten percent of the people who've ever seen this movie are even aware that the joke is there. Yeah, yeah. And, and part of it's probably too from when it was on TV back in the day. It was cut off because that right. was the upper left hand corner of the screen. So it right. was probably. You know, until we had widescreen TVs and, and letterboxing, we probably wouldn't have seen it anyway after we got out of the theater with it. Oh, man, is it funny. <laughs> I, have, I, I have to say, I, I agree with Ms. Tessmacher, because it looks like she's taking San Francisco. Uh, and yes. that, that's what so I would do. San, north of San Francisco. That's, north, that's a, that seems, judging by where, because I, I watched for that, judging by the little, by the overlay, it looks like San Francisco. It's like just south of Tessmacher Peaks, which kind of okay. makes sense given the you know geography up there. Right, right, right. So yeah, I again, I just I can I laugh so hard at Hackman's read on that line. It's just so so incensed. Uh, it's just yeah. so disgusted at, at his own yeah. henchmen. And almost all I was wonder is he a little embarrassed that he's in front of Superman and he has this knucklehead working for him like is it that yeah, like, is this like uh i think so <laughs> i I, th- I think so because i think he's i think he's got this he's doing his presentation you know nowadays he'd have a powerpoint you know right but i'm you know and 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 then you know here's he's got he he like you said he went to the trouble going to kinko's yeah and uh and then here's otis you know writing in crayon he's got this great thing all presented <laughs> out you know it's like 
you know, it's like you've got some art gallery showing and some kid like, you know, pins a crayon drawing underneath it or something, you know, it's like, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just Otisburg. Otisburg. It's just so, yeah, so he's mad. Just, he's so indignant. He's just he's so enraged by this. Yeah. So he lays out his plan. And then, of course, he does the classic great transition where he puts down the pointer so hard that he oh. cracks the floor, which is what a, a great button on the scene. And you even get mm-hmm. Ned Beatty going, woo. And I, I do, I love too when Superman is standing there and he's arguing back with Lex, we see Otis staring at Superman, trying to like puff up his chest a little. Like he's trying mm-hmm. to look bigger, you know, and while he's standing there in front of Superman, which I think is a great, but I mean, this transition is absolutely perfect where we see the fault line on Lex's map fade to the fault line and of course that's where we're going to find Lois driving as she's uh, wrapping up her story so just a great way to end that scene and move on to something more action related it's it's fantastic and I mean it's the it's the classic villain giving their spiel yeah about about what they're doing and again while you're you know while you're standing there and there's always like well why doesn't Superman grab him right now you know so far really in a way you could argue that Lex hasn't done anything that could be could be grabbed about but again, Lex bothered. First of all, Lex's ego is so enormous that he wants to tell Superman his plan. It's not. A, it's not that foolhardy. I'm going to tell you so you can actually get me. The whole and again, the payoff isn't until later for when you have your. You know, and I won't give it away, of course, even though it's not really a spoiler. We know why. We know why through all of this, Lex is so confident. We know why later because he's got that kryptonite up his sleeve. Superman doesn't know it. Luther, uh, Otis probably doesn't know it, but all through this, this is why Lex always keeps his cool and gives it all away because he wants Superman to know he's beaten him. And then we find out a little while later just why he thinks he's beaten him. Yeah. Well, and he, he's distracting him while the missiles actually go that off too. course, you that know, too. too. So, I mean, he, he got him there. He's yep. got it. He's got the kryptonite there. So it's because if Superman was just out, you know, in the wild, how would he get the kryptonite to him? He had to get him. He had to bring yes. Superman to him to lay the lay the rock on him <laughs> right which is which goes back to the whole why he whistled to bring him to you know to him to begin with he was like i he's trapping him and it's and this is you know people always say you know superman can you know part of, part of the problem with superman is that you can't have a villain who's really his equal this movie shows you how it's done you have a guy who's got no powers whatsoever but he's got a brilliant mind and is able to draw in superman and this this is why the movie works so well. This one scene tells you what you need to know about this villain and this hero and why they're so well matched for each other. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's really, really well done. You know, Lex uses Superman's own moral code against him. I mean, he, you know, endanger a, a city full of people and Superman will come. And right, you got exactly. it. You know? yep. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. So we, so we see Lois driving and then we have... Um, uh, Jimmy uh, checking out the dam, which will come in the film later on, and then the final these uh, five minutes ends with the missiles on their way. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's Lex is doing his whole Ozymandias thing. I did it five minutes ago, guys. Uh, it's right. a great bit, a great great way to end the five minutes. This is, I mean, Otisburg. I mean, as great as this five <laughs> minutes is, this is really about Otisburg because it is just <laughs> one of the great things that everyone remembers. Anyone of a certain age can just do that, can just do to whip out the Otisburg. Otisburg? And everyone is going to know what you're talking about. It's really one of the great gags that Tom Mankiewicz came up with. So, well done, fellas. Well done. Well, I guess that is going to do it for these five minutes of Superman the movie. Is there, Dan, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, I love this movie. 
Uh, just and, and uh, thanks for having me on to talk. And, and when I saw that this was going to be my scene, I was like, you know what? There, there are a gazillion scenes in this movie that I would want to do, but I was so glad I got to do this one because there's so much going on in it. And I love it. I, it's just such a great movie and, and such a great moment. So thanks for having me on to talk about it. I'm glad to have you here. Where can people find you on the internet? 13thdimension.com, uh, where, we, uh, where we write and talk about uh, stuff about movies like this and comic books like this and yesterday and today. And, of course, Rob, you're a, you're a regular guest uh, on uh, 13th Dimension all the time with your real retro cinema columns and the other things you do. And, and Chris, we got to get you on the 13th Dimension, too, one of these days. Oh, great. I'm, I'm all for it. I, I read it every day. I go to it every day when I go to work. It's the first thing I go to. So, oh, that's after awesome. Fire Thanks. Uh, I'll take second fiddle uh, uh, to that. That's great. It's a love match, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, awesome. Well, again, thanks everybody for listening. Chris, where, what shows you have coming up? You have a new, uh, well, I think by the time this one airs, your new show will be started. But what's that new show? JLU Cast, where my wife Cindy and I cover the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series, which of course features Superman and Lex Luthor. Uh, so you can check that out on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Excellent. Of course, all my shows are on the network as well, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, I guess that's going to do it. Again, Dan, thanks so much for coming by, and uh, we will see everybody next week. So until then, uh, bye. Thanks, guys. It's safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.